Hello and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Koops, I'm your host, and today I'm thrilled to be bringing you back the returning guest, uh, my friend Chris Fox. Welcome back to the show, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to be able to get to chat with you. I feel like um, when it comes to the self-publishing and indie you know, revolution that we've had, you've always been sort of one of those uh, standard bearers that I've always kept an eye on. You know, I imagine all of us as indies, this little army of authors racing along, and I always kind of keep track of where's the Chris, Fa- Chris Fox flag? You know, like I want to know what he's up to so that I can follow the trends. So like, I always like to check in, check in, <laughs> in with you every once in a while. The uh, the big fox banner waving waving somewhere. Um, yeah, I'm less vocal than I used to be, but uh, I'm still sharing information, <laughs> which makes me more curious about what you're up to. When, the more quiet you get, the more curious I am because I know you're always up to something. Um, so yeah, so welcome welcome back, and I know that um, you've been having a lot of fun uh, playing with your fiction. You've got this this new book out, which is the Dark Lord Bert, which is just <laughs> a hilarious title just to start out with. Um, but you've sort of delved into the world of not just fantasy, but but lit RPG a little bit. You, uh, can you tell people who aren't familiar with this particular genre uh, what it's about and why you got into it? Uh, sure. So first off, I'd, I'd say be very careful um, about your divisions between lit RPG, game lit, and humorous fantasy. I'm, I'm learning this lesson the hard way. Okay. So lit RPG and game lit are both two sides of the same coin. The essential thrust of the plot is that the main character is somehow trapped or involved in a game of some sort. It can be in real world, it can be they die and they go to like a heaven-like game, okay. it can be a video game they're trapped in. Um, but what really differentiates it from different fiction is that they're showing the rules of how the world works. They want to see character sheets, they want to know about your inventory. Um, when a character mm-hmm. levels up, they want to know what kind of abilities and stats they're getting and what choices they make and why. Um, so lit RPG as a genre is very well defined. There's a huge body of work in it now, and, and okay. anybody who, wanted, who wants to write it, I'd recommend uh, do a lot of research first. I didn't. Okay. <laughs> the Dark Lord Bert is not written to market. It's one of my few books that isn't in recent years. Um, and it came about because I was doing a video series on my YouTube channel trying to show people how to plot a book. And mm-hmm. We had to plot something, so we plotted Bert. Yeah, and when I put it when I put the book out in the wild, um, it comes from my background as a Dungeons and Dragons player. You know, I've done it my entire life, and and what happens when you play these games is you meet interesting characters, people, um, sort of recurring themes that a lot of people will recognize, and I put all those into the book. And when I was done, I thought the best fit for it would be game lit. But if you look at the top review on the book, you will see that is not the case. Hmm. Most people love the book, but uh, the game lit crowd said, no, 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 you need more rules. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So it seems, yeah, very specific um, set of genre expectations, I guess, mm-hmm. for, depending on this. So um, to use maybe some some uh, examples that people would be maybe more familiar with, like um, I would, I, when I think of this, I think of uh, Ready Player One, but I also think of Jumanji Into the Jungle, like the most recent movie. I don't know if you watched that, where they end up inside of a video game. Would you classify those kind of in this similar category? Or are those two different categories? Both of those would count as game lit, um, as I understand okay. it, but not as lit RPG. They're not showing enough crunch and enough stats to really qualify as the latter category. Oh, interesting. So even though the characters are dying and coming back and have like inventories and stuff necessary, like they can pull from, like that still doesn't necessarily isn't quite enough for the lit RPG folks. Exactly. Like I would have thought that it would, and I've written in a lot of different genres, and I and I thought hard science fiction was a tough crowd. No, no, no. Lit RPG is much, much more tough. Uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it yeah. does mean that you really should be passionate about it if you're jumping in. Okay. So like, this is something that I probably wouldn't jump into. Like I, you know, 
didn't have enough plays, you know, friends as a kid to play my my Robotech game that I wanted to play that I got at a yard sale. Like I, I just played with all the little mechs and stuff, but I never got into role playing games enough as a kid because you need a lot. You need to sit there for hours with, with a lot of mm-hmm. friends, and you know sometimes you walk into these gaming places and there's people that have been there all day playing this one game, and um, so you need some time and you need to really devote some research to this. Uh, it's not something I've been able to do, but um, and, I, and I know that you've had a background with this, so I, I'm surprised that you know even with your intimate level you know knowledge of Dungeons and Dragons, for example, that this is still there's people that are even deeper in it that. Are setting these expectations. I think that's interesting. I, I was surprised too. I have over ten thousand hours playing Dungeons and Dragons, and a, a comparable ten thousand hours. We're talking now. We're over twenty thousand hours in video games. Yeah, I've played all this stuff. So, so I thought I was qualified to, to kind of write this and give my experience. And hearing that I wasn't, I was pretty surprised because there are no video games I haven't really played. Like you know, I played yeah. Anthem. I played every. I mean, right up through today. Yeah. I mean, Saturday I was at a D and D game. Okay. Um, but they have very specific rules. So what I've learned is going forward, I will be advertising Bert as a uh, humorous fantasy novel. Okay, <laughs> interesting. And it is humorous. I, I've you know, of course, read the blurb and I've followed along a little bit about during your plotting phase, what during during some of the videos. But can you tell me a little bit about this little goblin and his uh, journey and what this sure. of this particular book is? So the, the basic plot is you've got a goblin that has a single hit point, so he takes any damage at all from anything he dies. Okay. And because he is a critter, adventurers can't see him. And so what Bert does is he follows around adventurers, and since adventurers always leave copper behind because it's too heavy, yeah. that's how he makes his money. He goes over it with a rake, and he looks for gold, and you know anything he finds he brings back. Yeah. And through a series of hijinks, as you can tell from the title, um, Bert is going to become the Dark Lord. So one hit point goblin is going to become the Dark Lord, and that's really yeah. the story of how that happens. Yeah. That's that's just a really fun premise because you think of the Dark Lord as you know Sauron, you know this all powerful thing, and then you yeah, lonely little goblin. It's it's a great premise. It's super it's super cool hook. So um, I think it's just 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 a whole lot of fun. Um, what it is different from you, like you normally do write to market, do a lot of research. So other than you know just the, the YouTube channel, what else made you think? Okay, yeah, I can commit time. Your time is very valuable. What made you want to mm-hmm. commit to this? Not just this, but maybe future books in the Burt series. One of my weakest areas is writing comedy, I think. I have um, funny parts of various series, but I do like these big, sweeping, epic genre, you know, dramas that, you know, have, have character deaths now and then and have, you know, ever escalating stakes across six books. I wanted to slow down and try and do something simple and just, you know, learn to tell jokes in a book. So yeah. um, I think I succeeded in some ways in The Dark Lord Birth. The reviews overall are very good for it. People, you know, lots of five stars. People love it. Yeah. Um, but some of the, the jokes are bad. I use some puns. And, you know, if you don't like Terry Pratchett, there's going to be a couple in there that are going to make you grow and roll your eyes. Mm. Uh, but people let me know. And it's interesting to see from the reviews that, you know, most of them landed as I wanted them to. And, and the book did serve that. So I helped people learn how to plot. And I also, in the process, learned more about humor in my own writing. Yeah, and I want to get back to your sort of interactive method of writing the story in a minute, but um, before I get to that, I had one question from another author, a former guest of the show, Todd Hodges, T. Ellery Hodges. Um, Todd! Asks about whether, how, how difficult it was or, or whether it's worthwhile to try, he has a, a concept for a fantasy novel that he wants to write, and mm-hmm. he wants to know whether or not it's, you think it's smart to try to convert a fantasy novel into a lit RPG as far as like the longevity of this this um, trend of lit RPG being popular or whether you think you know fantasy book by itself like a Tolkien-esque fantasy by itself will have longer legs or what's your advice for people when it comes to deciding whether to write this or not 
don't shoehorn it. So if it sounds interesting to you and you think you might want to work in lit RPG elements, absolutely knock yourself out. You know, be prepared for some harsh reviews. That's just the crowd you're dealing with. But they're happy mm-hmm. to pay $4.99 for your book and then one star it. So, you know, you're, <laughs> you're going to make your money at least. Um, yeah, Epic yeah. Fantasy is always going to be around. And one of my next major series, I'm finally going to sit down and write uh, Shattered Gods, which is, is the reason I got into writing originally. Yeah. Um, I think Epic Fantasy done right is always going to have legs and always be around. And I'm not in any hurry to shoehorn any extra elements into my Epic Fantasy because I think it'll do fine if it's good. Yeah. Okay, that's solid advice. If anyone else has questions for Chris while we're on, feel free to, to shoot them up in the comments, and I'll do my best to ask them for you. Uh, or if you have comments later and you want to just throw them in, if you're watching the replay or if you're catching the podcast later on, uh, feel free to shoot questions in the comments, and we will try to get Chris to come back and maybe answer them in the comments. But um, got a few people watching. I see Brooke is watching. Hi, Brooke. Um, yeah, like I said, anyone, feel free to, to jump into the conversation anytime. That's that's the fun of these, these live episodes. So... Um, but yeah, I want to talk about the fact that you wrote Bert publicly. Um, one of my favorite quotes is that, uh, I don't remember who, who said it, but life is like learning how to play the violin in public. And it's, you did this on purpose where you're writing a novel, you know, like and telling people the ins and outs of how you're even structuring this thing as you went, which I think is a really interesting way to, to write a story. Um, can you tell me a little about that, why you chose to do this on YouTube and um, how that is connected to you with other authors or readers? Mm-hmm. So Bert was super easy to deal with this because it, it isn't my first book that I've written on camera, but the mm-hmm. first book that I did write on camera was Destroyer back in 2016. Yeah, That was my first military science fiction novel. And what I had said, and I've never been this terrified ever, but what I had said, I just released Right to Market and I'd said, I'm going to be able to write this book. It's going to sail up into the top 1000 on Amazon and, and I'm going to make a fortune selling this book. And I'd never had that happen with any of my books and I had yeah. never written you know, a, a book this quickly. So I told people, okay, I'm going to do this in 21 days. Yeah. Um, and I did, and I pulled it off on camera, and it was terrifying, but what I was gambling is, if I could prove to people that my methodology worked, then, mm-hmm. you know, then they would pick up Right to Market. So it's funny, mm-hmm. because the extent of my goal was to sell a few more copies of Right to Market, but what is, has been born out of that is a love of teaching. I've learned that I really enjoy showing my process on camera, refining it through comments I get, you know, in, in, on the various videos, um, and, and I like talking about the way that things have organically changed for me. I've been doing this, you know, professionally for five years now. And mm-hmm. um, I, I really enjoy just sitting down and, and, you know, waxing poetic about whatever's going on in, in publishing. Yeah. And like I said, it, it's something that a lot of people have followed along with. You know, I, I tuned into your 21-day novel writing challenge, like, back, you know, in the beginning. And it, it, it's always something that's been in the back of my mind. I always kind of keep track. It's like I said, I always follow the Chris Walks flags and see where it's going. And... um yeah, you know, I think it's really interesting, but that you've managed to take YouTube and make it a part of an author business that is not something that many authors are doing. Um, you've kind of co-opted this platform and said, "Okay, I can make this work." Um, how do you have any advice for people when it comes to trying to make incorporate YouTube into their author business? Um, first, I'd start with some serious reflection. So, ask mm-hmm. yourself: Am I good at video? Do I come across well? Do I have vocal variety? And if you're not, but you still want to do it, consider looking into Toastmasters. It's an organization specifically that will train you to do this and do it well enough that people will watch you. Mm-hmm. Um, assuming you're already at that point, and lots of authors that I know are, um, be genuine and authentic and show your successes and your failures. There's a cost to this if you're showing your failures because lots of people will start to assume that you're no longer authority or you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But more people will realize that you're being honest and they'll watch the aggregate of the information that you're presenting and they'll see you learn over time. And then, of course, when you do your income video at the end of the year, then all of a sudden all your doubters are quiet. 
Yeah. Well, assuming you, you're making money, which you're very um, transparent about that, which is very nice. You like you show your income right on the screen and say, okay, this is what I made this month, or that's month, or this is how I did this launch, which I think is very valuable because it's a it's one thing to hear something from someone just that's hearsay versus seeing the, the numbers. Um, so I think that's that's very um, unique what you do because I don't see too many people sharing those numbers. Um, mm-hmm. But I see uh, Cecilia Mecca's watching. I see David Goggins watching. So hi, uh, former hey, David. guest of the show. And um, always happy to have you guys around and hanging out. So so thanks for watching. Um, you've committed to this YouTube channel uh, pretty heavily. Um, you do these weekly, weekly. Like every Friday, I usually get a newsletter from you, mm-hmm. and you know, with a video attached. Obviously, that's a that's a big um, consumption of time as an author. If you're someone who writes as, especially as much as you do. Um, and it would, to something that doesn't necessarily have a direct, you know, monetary reward, you know, necessarily, um, it can, but do you, how do you feel balancing the time that you devote towards, towards YouTube and video and how it, um, weighs into your businesses and like, how should people make that decision? Is this going to be worthwhile? That's a great question. Um, I typically always push YouTube to the back. So if anything else in my life is going on and, and needs to be dealt with from a writing perspective, the YouTube video doesn't go out that week because okay. I'm not making money from it. Yeah. Um, and I treat it like a hobby and it's a fun thing that I get to do every week. So when I finish whatever work that I'm working on, usually on a Thursday, um, I'll sit down and I'll record the video as kind of a reward. So words are done. Now I get to sit down and record this. So it's like my video diary. Um, I think approaching it that way and I don't give it more than an hour a week. So the top Mm -hmm. amount of time I typically spend is an hour. I usually do one take. Um, I pay Mary to do the editing. Um, she does uh, lots of stuff for me, but, but the video editing is one of them. So I pay a few hundred dollars a month to run the channel, but um, you know, beyond that, there's not a lot of investment. Okay. Well, that's good. And I think that's important for people to set limits for themselves on what they're willing to allocate. You know, I've had to do that myself with this, with this podcast. I used to be doing, you know, multiple episodes a week. Sometimes I'm like, you know what, I got to dial this back to once a week. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, it's important, I think for authors to understand that, that our time is valuable and limited and we've got to, you know, pick and choose our, our priorities. But I, I do appreciate how regular you are for the most part with this. I'm, I'm usually very happy with the content as well. Because um, in addition to just sharing information about your own books, you're, you're also, you know, um, talking about craft a lot of the time, like you really kind of, you know, help share for people who aren't familiar with Chris's YouTube videos. I definitely recommend checking out his channel because he's got stuff like I think you had a recent one on combining characters, which was just like a fun, mm-hmm. fun <laughs> tip on like, hey, you, all these characters are serving the same function, just make them one character. Um, that's my summation. But <laughs> I'm sure you were more eloquent about it in the, in the email, but, um, what are, what are some goals you have for your YouTube channel? And as far as where do you see it going, going forward? Do you have more challenges coming up or anything like that? Um, I probably should do another challenge. It's been a little bit since I have, so I'm thinking maybe the next one that I'll do is how to write a sequel. Hmm. So I'll probably use Burt two for that, uh, for that exact purpose. Since all of the plotting for Burt one is already on camera. If I do that entire series on camera, then people can watch it grow. And if it hits six or seven or eight or nine books, there should be a whole wealth of information. So that'll be the next challenge. Beyond that, um, every Friday, it's a struggle. I you know, have to decide, do I want to do a motivation video or a craft video or a marketing video? Uh, yeah. So there's a lot of panicked recording on Thursday nights. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't show on camera. You're always cool as a cucumber on camera. So I'm, I'm always yeah, happy about that. Um, I think you're doing a great job. Can we talk, I want to talk a little bit about this sort of, seismic shift you did in your own author business this year. Um, you've shared with me in the past that you kind of changed one of your uh, strategies where it used to be you would write, write, write in the morning, like get those words done 100%. But then you kind of shifted gears towards more marketing in the morning. Can you talk about that? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I had to make a tough choice. So what I have always done is said, okay, I've got to increase the size of my backlist. I've got to get books out. I got to write them quickly. Um, and like many authors out there, and you know, this may make some people cringe, but I'm going to talk about it. I suffer from depression, and what that means is I can only get so much done. Mm-hmm. So often, what'll happen is I'm going to have to pick between writing and everything else. And writing was always the priority, which is great because I got mm-hmm. books done, even when you know suffering from from mental issues. Mm-hmm. But it also meant the marketing wasn't getting done. And since the marketing wasn't getting done, I wasn't selling enough books. So I think the last month um, that I, I took a look at it, I said, I've got to do something. I had like $6,000 in ebook sales, which guys for me is very, very low. Um, I spend like $3,000 a month in advertising. So if I'm only making six, something went drastically wrong. Mm. Um, and I said to myself, for me to turn this around, I need to have a mental shift. I need to decide that marketing is the most important thing. And then once the marketing is done, then the writing can happen. And so over probably five weeks, I turned my entire backlist around. Um, January was a record month, which was followed by February, which was a record month. Um, March probably won't be a record, but it's right in there with January and February. And when I say record, I mean across all formats. So audio record month, paperback record month, ebook record month, everywhere. And it's because I was focusing almost exclusively on getting this marketing done. And if, if I had time to write afterwards, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Marilyn says, mental issues are real. So many have them and, and we deal. Yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. And so many creative people, especially, I feel like. And maybe that's a stereotype, and I'm, you know, I don't know what the data is about that. But it seems like so many creatives are a little bit more prone towards you know, um, depression or you know, mental health challenges. So it's nice to hear, you know, for you to share that openly, because for, for all of those out there who are dealing with that, it's nice to have like, Hey, you know, Chris is going through this too. And he's a big time author and he's making tons of money writing books. There's a lot of people who obviously aren't as successful as you who are struggling, um, to write their books. And, you know, it's also, you know, it's, it's nice of you to, to, to share that openly and, and how you deal with it. Um, like I said, this, it's an interesting shift for me because this is something I've talked about a lot with um, other authors at Ninkfest last year where there's kind of almost like a volume game. Like where you, you, How many books do you have out now? 26, 31 if you count everything, but that's anthologies and box sets too. Okay, so, so you 26 have a, actual books. Actual books, and then how does that break down from nonfiction to fiction? You have uh, six nonfiction books? Seven nonfiction Seven books, books and uh, the rest of them are all fiction. Okay, so... Do you have any advice for authors when it comes to, okay, what's a, a size of a backlist where you do kind of make this mental shift into marketing where you think that, okay, kind of like there's enough oranges in the orange machine to get some juice out of and now you can kind of work on tweaking the machine? Like that's my analogy. I do. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great analogy and it works. Um, when you've got enough to fill one glass, which is basically one profitable series, mm-hmm. you know, when you can squeeze enough orange juice out of that that you're filling up a glass and it's only coming up to a third of the way, mm-hmm. it's not enough. But if you have a complete funnel, like let's say you've got a four or five or a six book series and your cover prices are fairly decent, mm-hmm. now you can make enough money that you can advertise and, and make a ton of money, especially if they're new releases mm-hmm. and Amazon is building on the success of your ad dollars. So if you're just releasing the series and you're releasing the books fairly quickly and you get up to three or four, now you you can turn on the ad spend and mm-hmm. um, Amazon quickly will take notice. And oftentimes they'll, they'll almost double the money you put in. Mm-hmm. And how does, how does your strategy change going forward? Like knowing that you're going to be spending more of the time marketing, how has that affected your release schedule, for example? Um, it didn't affect it too terribly because I had banked a bunch of novels last year. So I mm-hmm. had Dreyker's Folly already written and I had Bert already written. Um, and I also decided I was going to release two different box sets this year. So January, I put out the Magitech Chronicles quadrilogy, which meant I didn't have to write anything. Mm. And it's been my most profitable launch ever, in, you know, of any series. Yeah. Um, 
So it has slowed me down a little bit in that I'm not producing as many books, but I still got Nefarious written, which was 100,000 words, uh, and that took me a little over two months. So normally I probably would have had it done in six weeks, maybe four. Mm-hmm. Um, so it did take longer for me to write that book. I'm yeah. going to have to do a, a shift pretty soon here where I turn back to putting the writing first. Mm-hmm. And to get around that, what I've done is built a system where I can do my advertising in 30 minutes a day. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe some of your tactics that you use to streamline your marketing? Yeah. Um, I've got a book called Ads for Authors Who Hate Math, and basically it's covering this system. And what I do is I silo the days. So maybe today I'm working exclusively on creating audiences. Okay. And tomorrow I'm working on creating a campaign, a brand new campaign, and filling it with ads. Uh, and then maybe the day after that I'm doing pruning, where I'm looking at the ad performance and I'm cutting ones that aren't performing and maybe feeding the budget to ones that are. Um, and so I silo each of those activities, and I spend my 30 minutes working on whatever the most urgent task is. If I've got more time, I may spend it, but I've got it down to a point where a minimum of 30 minutes will get it done. Okay, interesting. Um, obviously, we're talking about audience and things like that. You're probably dealing. Are you dealing primarily with Facebook ads as your as your primary, um, or are you getting into AMS and BookBub as well? What's your marketing look like right now? I'd say my split at this point is about 40% Amazon, 40% uh, Facebook, maybe 15% Reddit, and then 5% uh, BookBub. Interesting. You don't hear about Reddit very often. Um, can you tell people a little bit about advertising on Reddit, what that's, what that's like? Um, if you like horror movies, it's very much like Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and what I mean by that is... Things are going to come at you that you just don't expect. Reddit is a very opinionated audience. They okay. don't like being sold to directly. So when you are doing your ads, you kind of have to be careful which subreddits you hit and what language you use in your ads. And they can um, vote up or vote down your ads. You can see very quickly if your ad drops to zero um, that you're not kind of hitting the right market. So yeah. um, I spent a fair amount of money there. And I don't know, I've at least broken even, so I'm not losing money, but it's a very, very difficult market to learn, and I wouldn't say that it's profitable. So I yeah. use Reddit every single day, and I know it well, and for me, therefore, it makes sense because I know the subreddits. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say for a new author that it's worth any investment of your time at all if you don't know Reddit. Okay. Yeah, obviously, if you've been in it for a long time and then you're familiar with the territory, um, it's kind of like one of those things I tell people about just wading into Goodreads, you know, even just like some of these places that are a little bit harsh, like you have to understand the landscape first. Obviously, Goodreads mm-hmm. ads don't work. Well, in my experience, anyway, they don't work. But the even just existing there kind of takes an almost like a protocol of mm-hmm. how you want to act and behave. You know, it's like, it's like yeah, this particular party has these particular rules and or otherwise you're going to get kicked out. Um, mm-hmm. And Reddit seems like one of those places as well. Very much so. Yeah. Um, you said you're doing um, pretty well in audio. Do you have any um, mm-hmm. advice for people when it comes to the audio side of your business and any things you're doing differently to, to drive that? Uh, it's the same advice I've been giving since like 2015, which is to get a series starter that is as long as possible. So bundle up two books, three books, four books um, until you get to like, you know, 25, 30 hours. And the reason you're doing this is Audible sells their memberships on a credit basis one credit will either get you a 40-hour book or a four-hour book. It's it's not a hard choice for most people. So if you've got that long book, it's super, super easy to get high conversion on your advertising, uh, and then you make crazy money. So my top sellers are always my bundles. So I've got one for Deathless, I've got one for Void Wraith, and I've got one for uh, Magitech Chronicles, and they do extraordinarily well. That's like 85% of my sales are those series. Okay. And were you able to just um, assemble that yourself, or did you get your narrator to 
somehow put that back, put that together? How does that work when you go to, if you've already got individual books, how do you assemble them into a uh, box set to reproduce? Um, so I do need to make the ebook, um, which Lisa did for me and Vellum pretty quickly, right. and we took care of that on their own. For the audio part of it, you need your narrator to do it unless you've got the expertise yourself. Mm -hmm. And this can be challenging if you didn't do uh, royalty share. If it's royalty share and narrator's usually like, sure, I'll take care of it. Mm -hmm. um, if it's paper finished hour, usually you've got to pay them again. So typically yeah. what I would do is offer them half of whatever I gave them originally to mm -hmm. compile um, an omnibus and put it up. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because I've got a, I've got pretty long books already, but I've, my, I know I did royalty share for the book one, um, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm curious. And I've also this is a, something I'm saying. I'm going to just ask you this. I don't know if if you do this, but um, an author I read recently has sections of book two, for example, in the end of book one, um, like he, where several, not just like one chapter, but like lengthy chapters at the end of an audiobook. And that's something I want to go back and do. Is like, hey, I really need to add my book two samples into the audio. Uh, is that something you're doing? Sometimes. Um, Amazon takes a dim view of it, depending on how much content you put in there. If you're mm -hmm. under 10%, theoretically, it's fine. Mm -hmm. And I do have books that have added that content in and seem to be selling just fine. But we just went through a, a flurry of people having their, their omnibuses pulled because they had, you know, extra content, whatever that means. So I, I've been a little more cautious of late, and I didn't do that with the quadrilogy I released in, in January, whereas the last one I did. So yeah. I sort of changed the way I feel about that. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's it's like I said, it's sort of a, a moving target sometimes, like where where things are in any given given day and in, in the, the publishing landscape. So that's why it's it's nice to kind of see what other people are doing, like check in every once in a while. Is this still is this still a thing? Um, and that's why I said like I can I like, say that re readers definitely love it. They absolutely oh, gotcha. love having that that little bit that leads them into another book. I was listening. Well, the one I was thinking of was uh, Sean Inman, who was previous guest of the show, has a time travel series, um, Middle Fall series, and I was reading through the end, and, and then I'm like. I got to the end of the book. I'm like, oh wait, there's there's more. And then I'm out walking the dog. I'm not going to turn on something else. Like he automatically started the next book, and I'm like, gosh darn it, Sean! Now I need to buy it. Now I'm hooked. <laughs> like immediately into this next character, and I was like, dang it! Like he got me. And um, I'm like, man, that's really effective. So anyway, I'm always learning from 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 other authors. But um, yeah, so can you tell people a little bit? Let's, let's maybe chat a little bit more about what else is coming up from you. Um, so ads, so ads for authors. Who hate math, right? Is that the um, the, the book for? That's for the title. Um, so it outlines your process a little bit about um, uh, you know streamlining your, your marketing. Any other big takeaways from this book? That what's what's the premise of the book overall, or the hook for this one? Um, the hook is the aggregate, aggregate sales model. So really, what you need to figure out in order to know if your ads are profitable is add the amount of money you spend on ads to mm -hmm. the amount of money it costs you to make this book, and that's mm -hmm. what you need to make to be in the black. If you yeah. then compare your sales at the end of the month and you have more than that number, you've made a profit. Right. And everything else is secondary. So mm -hmm. all of this stuff like calculating average cost of sale or you know even CPC or all of these metrics, while the data is important and the book does teach you a little bit about how to manage those, most authors don't care and they don't need to know. And, and we send, spend so much time tracking these metrics and trying to understand and optimize conversion that could be spent writing better ad copy and finding better images. Mm -hmm. So what the book does is it walks you through learning how to gather images, learning how to write better ad copy on all platforms, learning what the differences in the platforms are. It talks about Reddit and Facebook and Amazon and BookBub and what makes them different and, and what circumstances I found them useful. Um, so the, the goal is to create a system where the authors can do exactly what I'm doing and get their ads done in 30 minutes a day. You know, you, you allocate an activity to whatever your 30 minutes ad work that day is and then get it done. And, and if you're following the book, you've got a, a really easy system. So it goes from being something that most authors dread to, 
okay, I can knock this task out pretty quickly. And that's sort of the whole goal. Yeah, that's fantastic. And um, I've read all your books in your series. If people aren't familiar with uh, it's Write Better, Write Faster or... Write faster, write, write smarter. Faster, write smarter. There we go. There. We go. I know, um, <laughs> sorry, I'm butchering it right, right on the air here. But um, yeah, I've, I have read them all, despite not remembering their subtitle um, or, or the title of your series. But I, so their subtitle is only there for keywords. Yeah, it's the it's a one click purchase for me, no matter what you, you put out on the, on the nonfiction side. So, um, uh, when is the release for that? Um, probably going to be the third week of April. I'm looking at April 21st. I'm actually coinciding a course, a hundred dollar course that is the video equivalent of what the book does. And so I want to, you know, make those come out on the same day. So probably April 21st. Cool. Very good. And I understand that you also do do some consulting. Do you, is that something that, um, you want to talk about at all? Uh, sure. I can bring it up briefly. I, I don't do a ton of it. I've, I've actually tried to scale it back as much as possible. I, mm-hmm. I kept raising the price and I got up to a thousand dollars and figured, okay, thousand dollars an hour. No one is going to come to me for, for consulting. And all of a sudden, you know, my inbox started filling up with more people. So, Gosh, okay. um, I do a certain amount of consulting at that rate. If somebody's like a normal author in their mid list, I can't charge them a thousand dollars. That's messed up. So yeah. I, I cut that in half and I charge $500 for people that you know, are midless and just trying to get this done. But yeah. most people I turn away. So like they'll, they'll present their case to me about why they think they need me. And I'll say, take that $500 and buy yourself a, a new cover. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's wise. And also it saves you time. Um, Cause I'm obviously time is valuable and you want, you want it to be a win-win on any given mm-hmm. scenario like that. Um, what's next for fiction? We know um, there's Dark Lord Burt has got a sequel coming out, right? Yeah, uh, it's uh, Bert, Bert Two: The Burtoning is the title of that one. <laughs> I like it. And uh, what else? What else is coming from you for for the fiction side? Uh, God's War is the seventh book in my Magic Chronicles, so I will finally be finishing my first series. Um, once that's done, the whole rest of the year is finishing all my other series. So I'll dive into Heroborn and re-release those, and, and put out the third book and finish that. Um, I'll get back into Deathless, and and uh, book five is going to be coming out on Halloween, and then I'll immediately dive into book six. So. It's all about finishing each of my series on my back catalog at this point. Okay, cool. And then it'll be a big blank slate from there on out to do whatever you want with? Yeah, and uh, whatever, whatever I want is going to be epic fantasy. I'm finally going to release Shattered Gods. Yeah, and like I said, I know that's been on your, your plate for a long, long time and in the back of your mind just sort of brewing, so I can't wait to, to see what you come up with. I think it's going to be super cool. Um, but we didn't get a lot of questions live, but we did have quite a few people watching and saying hi and hanging out and then absorbing things that you're saying. So, uh, like I said, if anyone else does have questions for Chris later on, if you're catching the podcast later or if you're, you know, like, you know, catching this replay later, feel free to throw these up. Um, we are wrapping up for, you know, the half hour. We, you know, we've uh, burned through our half hour pretty quickly as expected. But um, if you want to, where's the best place for people to, to find more information about you and your YouTube channel? Uh, chrisfoxwrites.com. You can find everything there. It's a hub. Uh, if you want to go directly to YouTube, it's youtube.com slash chrisfoxwrites. Um, videos, articles, free books, whatever you need, it's all there. Yeah, and it's fantastic content. I can highly recommend it. Anyone who hasn't been there yet, um, I would say get up on the newsletter right away because you get lots of uh, really interesting and pretty regular content. So, um, yeah, thanks everyone for watching. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for being here again. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Can't wait to do it again in the future. Yeah, my pleasure. And I'll I'll pop by later and check the, the Facebook thread to answer any questions that people leave. All right. Fantastic. All right. Thanks, everyone, for watching and for listening. And we'll see you back here again next week for another great episode. So long. Bye, guys.